of the jumbled ideas that filled my head, and to become aware of the paths and procedures through which the mind achieves positive results. My course in experimental physics had been absorbing, but the professor seemed to delight in speaking disdainfully of physical theories. He used to say that physical theories are more or less arbitrary constructions based on hypotheses, and that the discovery of new facts undermines them and causes them to collapse, while facts which are carefully studied experimentally and shaped analytically stand as a definitive acquisition of physics and contribute to its continuous elaboration. But what I found most absorbing were these theories, for they gave me an overall view of nature and a firm basis for the study of philosophy but I felt incapable of understanding them because of a deficiency in mathematics. Still, I tried hard to grasp as much as I could. The discovery of radium caused considerable agitation since it was thought to reverse the principle of the conservation of energy. Having bought a newspaper and started to walk down the streets of Bern one day during the Easter vacation of 1902, I came to a place which said that Albert Einstein, a former student of Zurich Polytechnical School, would teach physics for three francs an hour. I mused. Perhaps this man could explain theoretical physics to me. I made my way to the house mentioned in the advertisement, walked up to the second floor and rang the bell. I heard a thunderous, Herein! and soon saw Einstein appear. The hallway was dark, and I was struck by the extraordinary radiance of his large eyes. After I had gone inside his apartment and taken a seat, I told him that I was studying philosophy but wanted also to delve into physics so as to acquire a thorough understanding of nature. He confessed that he too had leaned toward philosophy when he was younger, but that the vagueness and arbitrariness that characterizes philosophy had turned him away from it, and that he now concentrated exclusively on physics. For two hours we talked on about all sorts of questions, and felt that we shared the same ideas and a mutual attraction. As I started to take leave of him, he went along with me, and we continued the discussion in the street for about half an hour, and agreed to meet the following day. When we saw each other again, we renewed our discussion of certain questions that we had broached the preceding evening, and the physics lesson was completely forgotten. And when I came to him on the third day, he told me, after we had talked for a while, "'As a matter of fact, you don't have to be tutored in physics.' Our discussion of problems that stem from it is much more interesting. Just come to see me and I will be glad to talk with you. I went back many times, and the better I became acquainted with him, the stronger my attachment grew. I admired his singular insight and his surprising mastery of physical problems. He was not a brilliant orator and did not use striking imagery. He outlined his subjects in a slow, even tone, but in a remarkably lucid manner. To make his abstract thought more easily understood, he sometimes used examples drawn from common experiences. Einstein was a skilled mathematician, but he often spoke out against the abuses of mathematics in the hands of physicists. Physics, he would say, is basically a concrete intuitive science. Mathematics is only a means to express the laws that govern phenomena. As we were talking one day, I asked him, 
Don't you think that it would be a good idea for both of us to read one of some great thinker's works, and then discuss the problems dealt within the work? That's an excellent idea, he answered. I suggested then that we read a scientific work by Carl Pearson, and Einstein eagerly accepted. A few weeks later, Konrad Habicht, whom Einstein had known in Schaffhaus, and who had come to Bern to finish his studies with a view to teaching mathematics in the Lycée, took part in our discussions. Our dinners were models of frugality. The menu ordinarily consisted of one bologna sausage, a piece of Gruyere cheese, a fruit, a small container of honey, and one or two cups of tea. But our joy was boundless. The words of Epicurus applied to us. What a beautiful thing joyous poverty is. Einstein was a candidate for a license at the time I knew him, and was impatiently awaiting.